Well, hey, we have Jerome on the line here. Andre, what, what do you want to ask him? How do you know when someone is ready to take that step of either some sort of formal education or mentorship? I don't think you can start getting education too early. Start getting that education as soon as you can financially. Mm -hmm. If you think you need $100,000 in order to buy a building and you don't have that, so you're not going to get educated, I think that you're selling yourself short. If you are able to get educated and you have the knowledge and you can differentiate between a lead and a deal, there is a high likelihood that you'll either be compensated for bringing that to somebody or you can get a piece of the ownership. That is the gateway drug. Get that education. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 73 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, we have our first two-time guest, experienced investor Jerome Myers, and former professional baseball player Andre Jernigan. Keep listening for factors to consider in deciding whether you should get a mentor and a discussion on the skills that are most important for success in real estate investing. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm really excited for today's show. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We've got experienced investor Jerome Myers on with us, along with aspiring investor Andre Jernigan. Let's first introduce everybody to Jerome Myers. He leads the Myers Development Group, and he's on a mission to hold 1,000 doors by the end of 2028. He is also a real estate investing coach using the Myers method of multifamily investing, and he's the host of two podcasts, Dreamcatchers, and Myers Methods presents multifamily missteps. He also volunteers on STEM boards, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and enjoys traveling internationally. And one more thing that I'll add here is Jerome is also the host of the Mid-Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference, which this year will occur between March 19th and March 21st. So check that out. I hear it's going to be awesome. That said, Jerome, welcome to the show. Brian, it's always amazing to get on the line with you. You said this to me once. I'm going to turn mm -hmm. it around on you. Mm -hmm. Every time I get off the phone with Brian Briscoe, I feel better. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're both going to be on highs today, you know, high as a kite. But um, it's incidentally, Jerome, um, I think you know this, but, uh, you know, you were the first guest on my podcast and you are now the first two-time guest on my podcast. So let's spread some of those red pills around tonight, if you, if you don't mind. Let's start out by, by talking about your background and your history and what, what got you into this whole apartment thing. Yeah. So the end of the story kind of is I'm a corporate America dropout. Yeah. I went to good school, got mm -hmm. a good job. I was fortunate enough to break six figures when I was 26. Mm -hmm. uh, did that for a little bit, went to a consulting firm and then another consulting firm. And then my last role in corporate America, I was leading a division of a Fortune 550 company. Mm -hmm. We went from two employees to about 175 between January 13th and August 30th. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the year, you know, we had about $20 million of revenue and 30% profit margins. In and one year? One year. Wow. It was pretty insane. The reward for that was a phone call that I had with my boss on Christmas Eve. And mm -hmm. it was something along the lines of, Jerome, we're going to do this. It's just a matter of whether or not you participate in the process or somebody does it for you. Mm -hmm. And I recommend that you pick your team because you've got to go do this again next year. Mm -hmm. And I crumbled on the inside. Mm -hmm. I, I struggled. You know, none of the engineering stuff that I did fixed it for me. None of the training and the development made that part okay. Mm -hmm. But I did what I had to do, right? Because that's what we're taught to do. Yeah. And so I spent between Christmas Eve and New Year's learning and relearning and trying to make a subjective or objective process to mm -hmm. make sure that the peak performers were rewarded for the work that they'd done over the past year. Mm -hmm. And the folks who maybe didn't work as hard were the ones that were actually impacted by this decision. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to the end of the next year, it's two or three days before Thanksgiving, and I pull everybody together and say, hey, don't spend your paycheck that you get on Friday, on Black Friday, because I'm not sure what's going to happen between now and the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And that made me break a promise that I made to myself. 
which was, I'm never doing this again. And so that's when I realized that I needed to exit. It didn't matter how much I was making. It didn't matter how pretty my company truck was. I needed to go do things and kind of take the bull by the horns on my own. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's hard to do. That's something that, uh, you know, in my job, I've, I've not had to do, you know, so um, I can't imagine, especially in the holidays. I mean, Christmas Eve, you know, hey, Merry Christmas. Um, here's your pink slip. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it was painful for me. And people have, I've never really said it publicly, but for me, it was a traumatic experience. And we don't talk about trauma a lot, but I've been working with a buddy of mine and trauma's coming up more and more. And I know your background with the military, you guys are first line defenders. And so mm-hmm. that type of stuff happens. And so, whoever's in your community, just be careful with the trauma that you go through and make sure that you have the tools and techniques to process that so that you can contribute to the community when you move on from that space that you're in. Yeah. You know, in in the military in the last several years has actually started to just be more open about it. You know, it used to be that a lot of things were just kind of swept under the rug because it was all part of this tough guy, you know, um, Incidentally, I was, I was reading something that somebody sent to me that his uncle wrote, and he was talking about, you know, shooting the, the big guns on the, the old warships in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, they wanted to be iron sailors, and so they didn't wear earplugs, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's for, for many years kind of been the, the military's mantra. It's like, hey, we're, we're tough. We can handle it. You know, I don't need to put a Gore-Tex on when it's raining, you know, type stuff. You know, it's cold outside, but I don't need, I don't care. You know, and I, I think recently we, we kind of walked back from that position and put a lot more time and money into the mental issues because it, it really is a big deal. You know, it, there's there's wounds that just don't show on, on the inside there. Yeah, I appreciate you acknowledging that. It's super important. And I know you've got your background and there's a lot of people listening to this who can be helped by it. And, you know, we're going to talk about real estate. We promise, guys. But yeah, I think that message is especially at this time of year is a pretty important one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has a moment, you know, I was talking with somebody else earlier today on another podcast and he said that there's usually two things that, that will change somebody, you know, the, the really good events. He said it much more eloquently than I'm going to, but he said, you know, they're really super positive events and the really horrendous events, you know, one of those two things are really going to change your, your course, you know? So you, you hit one of those events where you're like, I don't ever, ever want to do this again. You know, that is going to have more of a profound effect on you than a lifetime of mediocre bad stuff, if that makes sense. You know, and, and for me, I, I think the the traumatic event for me was just getting home from deployment, you know, eight, 12 months later, getting pulled into a general's office and him telling me, hey, congratulations, you know, we're you're going to go to Iraq. It's going to be a great career move for you. It's just like, whoa, that, that was one of those moments where in my mind, it was just like, I just left my family. You know, I don't, I don't want to leave them again. And it was, it was that moment where I just, that's actually when I started my countdown, to be honest with you. I, I think most of, most people know that, you know, I, I do have a countdown until the day I retire. Yeah. So, so that, that said, let's, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your, your story. So corporate America, Thanksgiving, don't spend your paychecks. Where'd you go from there? Yeah. So I thought I was going to go walk into a bank and get a loan on a multifamily property. Mm-hmm. The problem was that I hadn't solved for the first two things and maybe even three and four, mm-hmm. um, knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. Yep. And so I walked into bank. I thought I had a deal. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really have a deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the experience and I didn't understand what they were saying when I knocked on the door at those 10 banks and said, Mm -hmm. Hey, don't you want to lend to me? I got 800 credit score and I got Mm -hmm. some cash in the bank. They're like, yeah, "Yeah, but you, you don't have experience. I said, of course I have experience. Yeah. I just ran a $20 million Mm P&L. I have an MBA. I've got a professional engineering license. I mean, I could keep giving you these credentials if you want. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, that's not what we're talking about. They said, have you signed a loan? on a deal of similar size and executed a business plan that is very similar to the one that you're getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, how do I get experience if this is my first deal? They said, well, go find somebody who has experience and then yeah. we can talk. And so I took my tail, walked back out. I mean, like I said, 10 different places. 
Mm-hmm. And so I went and started fixing and flipping because that was all that I could think to do because I was going to do real estate full time. Mm-hmm. We, we get through a few of those and I get my knight in white shining or on the white horse pull up and it, mm-hmm. it's a Dodge Ram instead of a horse. <laughs> and he says, hey, I want to check out the inside. I want to check out the finishes on your flip. And as we get to talking, he says, hey, I'm looking at this property this apartment building. Do mm-hmm. you know anything about it? I was like, yeah, I know something about that. I tried to buy that five or six months ago and said, you're the guy I've been looking for, right? <laughs> he, he's going to save me. Yeah. You're the, you got the experience. And he said, what are you going to bring to the deal? And because I couldn't accurately or eloquently articulate what mm-hmm. my value add was going to be to the deal, he went and did that thing without me, or at least he tried to. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote the offer, it got rejected. He went and talked to one of our common uh, comrades, and he said, hey, I want you to come in and be the GC on this deal. He said, well, Jerome brought that to me at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm only going to do it if he does. And that was when I learned and knew, like, I've been doing the right thing. I've been investing in some of his projects for over mm-hmm. uh, three or four years. Uh, and so he brought me into the deal, and we went off and bought this 23 unit in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I was the asset manager. We bought from a broker. So they did the press release and my name was in the paper as asset manager. I still remember the headline. And I, for the life of me, couldn't believe it when my phone started ringing. Mm -hmm. People wanted to know what I had in the pipeline, Brian. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, but they wanted to know what I had in pipeline and they wanted to show me their products. And so we, that's when things changed for me. And so I started writing my own contracts and, Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you listeners, you know, there's joint ventures and syndications because my first deal was a joint venture. I just kept beating that nail. And I'm one of the few people who probably doesn't syndicate. And so mm-hmm. we've done a number of different deals. We did that first one in Richmond and we've done a few here in Greensboro, North Carolina. And now we're working on 120 unit development that we call technology row. And we're looking to break ground in 2021 on that. Right. So, um, fitting, I got you on the line. We're, we're working on a joint venture ourselves right now. And when my partner called me up, so I, I'm not part of any of the acquisitions team. Eric Shirley is our acquisitions guy. And when, when something gets close to contract, you know, that, that's, that's when he brings it to me and, and starts telling me, but it looks pretty good that we'll be doing a JV. And I promise, you know, as soon as we get that under contract, I'm going to call you up and say, Hey, Jerome, we're, we're doing our first JV. But I, I think there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to, to doing either one. There's pros and cons either way. You know, I don't think there's a, a right or a wrong, but there's a right for you and a right for me. Both of them, I, I think there's financially, if you can get into a JV, you know, if you've got the money and, and the, the capital to be able to, to tackle something in a JV, your returns are going to be higher. You know, the syndication model allows you to go bigger sooner, you know, so it's really just a matter of what do you want to do? Yeah, so. I think bigger sooner actually happens if and only if. You can build a network of investors to bring the money to the deal. You guys, the Four Oaks have done a phenomenal job at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most people just don't have the network because they don't have the credibility. And I'll say it again, just for the listeners, because I know the majority of them are looking for their first deal. Knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. You need to get educated. And Brian's an example of what happens when you get educated. After you have education, you can go find a deal. This is what gets you in. When you control the contract, then you can get something done because you can force your way in because you control the deal. The experience and capital, you partner with those people in order to get your deal closed. And that when we talk about capital, I put that at the top of the stack because the bank's only coming in after they have an experienced operator that they can bet on. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people and maybe even Brian shares it a different way where you're talking about raising money and building a network and that type of stuff. But even if they start doing that work, I really think they come back through that four step process and it will save a tremendous amount of time. If you actually listen to me and solve in that order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you've decided that you don't have capital and you can't do a deal, you're already sunk. You don't need to worry about capital. If you don't have access to experience or a deal, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter because those things come first. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I verbalize it a little differently. I, I say you should always be looking for three things, deal, money, and a team, you know, and inside that team comes the experience that you're looking for, you know, so it, it ends up being the, the exact same thing. And it's, it's all based, 
it's all based around what it takes to get that loan. That's that's the longest pull in the tent is, is the lenders are going to dictate the terms because they're the ones that are putting 70 to 80% of the capital out there. So they're looking for experienced operators. And you know, therefore, if you've got the experience and you can bring money to the table, the world's your oyster. And then there's something else you said I'll, I'll, I'll double down on is once you get that first deal under your belt, I mean, Michael Blanc talks about the law of the first deal, but it's absolutely true. You know, once we had our first deal under under our belt, I had brokers that I haven't even known, and I still get brokers that I don't know that contact me. You know, once or twice a week. You know, hey, are you looking for properties in Texas? Are you looking for properties in Oklahoma? Are you looking for properties in, um, you know? Whereas, you know, while I was while I was trying to get that first deal, you know, I would call fifteen brokers just to get one to talk to me. So. But yeah, that's that, that's a lot of a lot of stuff there. You know, knowledge, deal flow, capital, and Drew. What's your what's your fourth one? Experience. Experience. Yep. There you go. So, um, bring to table as many of those things as you can, and partner for the rest. Absolutely. Good. Good. So let's let's talk about uh, your big burning why. You know. Yeah. I, short answer is freedom, right? I, I wear this shirt everywhere. Yeah. People ask me if I ever change my clothes sometimes. And I, I do. It's a different yeah. shirt just about yeah. every day, right? Yeah. But it's I took the red pill. And I think there are a lot of people who are seeking an alternative experience. Mm-hmm. And they just don't have a conduit or a guide to help them get to that place. And so what I've really wanted to do is position myself as a person who can guide them from the place that they're into that place of freedom Mm -hmm. it's a little less comfortable it's a little counter culture or contrarian to use my man john blanton's word Mm -hmm. and if you're willing to do that if you're willing to be uncomfortable you can experience a great deal of freedom and again back to my traumatic experience nobody was going to walk in again and tell me what i had to do with the people who were on my team the buck i thought stopped with me until somebody had to make another decision and told me what to do. And that didn't work anymore. And so I reclaimed what I consider to be my freedom. Yeah. You know, and something, something that parallels in my life. I mean, I've been active duty military for 19 years and change right now. And, you know, I used to think when I was lower in rank, I'm like, man, when I'm a Lieutenant Colonel, be able to make all the decisions, you know, and I realize right now how small of a box that commanding officers really have to operate in. I mean, it's it's not like they have a lot of discretion. They've got a very narrow box and it's like, stay in your box. But yeah, agree agree wholeheartedly on that one. Incidentally, I was peddling red pills just last night. I, I ran into somebody, somebody that I deployed with. Uh, she's out of the Marine Corps right now. She went through grad school and she just happens to live in the in the DC area. And we were talking and she started asking questions about investing in real estate. She's like, man, that just sounds really risky. I'm like, let's talk about risk. Like, you have a job, right? She goes, yeah. I'm like, what would it take for you to lose your job? And she just looked at me. She paused and she's like, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, and it was just that quick. She was just like, I'm like, what's, what's more risky? You know, having a single income with no backup or trying to create multiple income streams by investing in, in, in real estate. I mean, real estate doesn't even have to be your vehicle, but you know, I think, I think uh, a lot of people just need to take that pill and realize that that, that single income stream isn't going to cut it. I agree. 3000%. You got to hedge the bets. And you know, when I talk freedom is time and location freedom, but I think the other piece of this is knowing that you have revenue Mm -hmm. and that your revenue can't be outsourced. COVID's been a fork in the wheel for a lot of people, but at the end of the day, when things get back to whatever the new normal is, people are going to pay their rent. They have to, they need a place to stay and that Mm -hmm. can't be outsourced. And so knowing that you are supplying this foundational need is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody needs shelter. Everybody needs shelter, you know, and that's, that's one of the, one of the things that has attracted me to multifamily is just that fact, you know, when my wife and I were, were younger with smaller kids we lived in apartments quite frequently, actually, you know, so, and then when we weren't living in apartments, we were typically renting houses because you, when you're only living in a place for one to two years, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to buy. But yeah, we, we were habitual renters for the longest time and, you know, you're always going to pay your rent and that's the last thing you're going to skimp on. 
You know, I'd rather have somebody repossess my car than kick me out of my home. I love it. Well, good enough. So let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the projects, one of the deals you guys have, have done recently and give everybody an idea of what Jerome looks for. Yeah. So I haven't talked about this because it, it just closed on Monday. It's not actually a deal that I signed, mm-hmm. but we've walked every step of the way. And so you've got to get John Blanton on the show. I'm going to blow him up right now on the spot, <laughs> but he just bought... He bought 18 units in Greensboro, North Carolina, mm-hmm. townhome style, two bedroom, one and a half bath, 100% occupied for $500,000, 18 units wow. for $500,000. So when the bank went in and did the appraisal, they gave him a 10 cap on the property. It's a seven cap area. Mm-hmm. And it appraised at that 10 cap at like 700,000. And we won't do all the math on the podcast, but people can do the math. But what I will say is he legitimately added $450,000 to $500,000 to his balance sheet in a single transaction. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where else you can do that legally, but I'm super stoked for him and going through our process and considering doing JV, realizing that he didn't have to have partners and then just knocking down the deal. And because he was able to get educated, get the deal control that deal. He had the option on whether or not he brought partners in Mm -hmm. and he didn't actually need it. Boom. He's, he's put himself in a great position, whether he wants to harvest the equity or just continue to cash flow. And what I'm telling people right now, when we're looking for deals is, Hey, I only want to buy something if it's the 2% rule to make it super simple. I want 2% rule. And that's what he's getting on this deal. And so, you know, that type of stuff is out there. Mm-hmm. And it's not deeply distressed. We, what part of our business model, since you're asking what we're looking for, we want to help people retire. Mm-hmm. We think there's a lot of landlords out there who have a ton of equity trapped mm-hmm. and they're ready to retire. And so we want to give them the opportunity to harvest their equity. Yeah. Right? They want to do it quietly. They don't want to deal with brokers. They don't want to do any of this stuff. And so we'll go pick that up and put it in the bag and then we'll bring it back to market when we've executed whatever our business plan is. And he's yeah. got a great opportunity to come in, do some paint, shutters, uh, add some gutters, and mm-hmm. then renovate units on the turns. And I know you guys are doing that. I saw yep. a recent post on Facebook where you guys have freshly renovated units and mm-hmm. you're proving a $100 increase on the rents. Like yeah. for me, using that methodology just makes a ton of difference. It's like fixing and flipping, but somebody else is paying your mortgage. And I, I don't know how else you can do real estate in a way where you're getting cash flow or you're getting some income to service the expenses and the debt, mm-hmm. as well as take that money and improve the value of the asset. So yeah, you know, it, it's super exciting. And I would love to hear him come on and share this story with somebody who's trying to break through. Yeah, done. You know, so I'll, I'll reach out to him. He he just started a podcast of his own and we're we're working on date and time for us to record together. We'll we'll just double up. So yeah, John Blatton, love, love what he's doing. Sounds like an awesome deal. I mean, 18 units for 500 grand. Um, I'll be honest, my house costs more than that, you know, single unit, you know, in DC. But uh, um, yeah, we're the, the JV unit we're looking at is, uh, we're not getting as good of a deal, you know, 28 units for just under a million, but it's- That's a good number. It's a good number, you know, but it's it's about a mile away from an 82 unit that we just closed on. I don't think we'd uh, normally go for a 28 unit, but just because of the proximity, we'll be able to manage it out of, out of the you know 82 unit. Our onsite management, the 82 unit is going to manage the, the 20, 28 as well. And that'll be our, our first JV. So yeah. And, and to your point, you know, we, we, we've walked into similar amounts of equity on other deals, though a little larger reposition. You know, we, we bought one of them just a, just about a year ago. By the time this airs, it'll be over a year ago, but 55% occupancy when we purchased it. And this was a 32 unit that we bought for 700. I think it was 768 is what we bought it at. The the appraisal, we, we walked into a, a six-figure equity position when we purchased that property. And the, uh, the post... Uh, the post renovation appraisal put it at, I think a 1.4 1.5 million and end of the day yeah you you can if you're if you're if you're doing the right things finding your deals you can walk into six figures of equity without a whole lot of effort so just matter doing you the don't right need many of those to retire no no <laughs> No, when you got one deal that's going to cash flow uh, you know 100 grand a year you know when when all said and done 
yeah, you don't need many of those. So, well, cool, man. Hey, so, so what's next for you and what, what's next for your, your team? Yeah, I think the big thing that's next for us is building technology row. All of our attention is going into mm-hmm. that 120 units and really targeting upper workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've committed to serving the police officers, firefighters, service members, the folks mm-hmm. who aren't making a ton of money but deserve a great place to live. And so we've done that through repositions. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, we, we've been able to find a, a great piece of land, rezone it. And mm-hmm. now we're going to work with HUD with their program. And I think it's 221 D4. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, we're going to have the opportunity to get some. debt locked in for 40 years, fully amortized and just enjoy the benefit of having a new property for a really long time in the opportunity zone. And we'll pick up some other stuff along the way, but the vast majority of the effort right now and resources is going to that deal just because for me, it's the largest deal I've ever done. I mean, the debt on that thing is over 15 million. I I, kind of cringed when I saw the application. I was like, I don't even know yeah. if I can count this high, right? Yeah. But, you know, when, when you start doing stuff like that, um, you, you can get, and, you know, I not just kind of can get, like, I'm excited, extremely excited about it. And to have a partner in that deal who's done a few thousand units, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. great and a testament of, it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum, you're still always solving for those four things, mm-hmm. knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. Yeah. Um, as long as you're getting bigger, as long as you're growing, you're going to need to learn new stuff. You're going to need to find those deals. You're going to need somebody with experience so that you limit your mistakes and mm-hmm. you're going to want to have access to more and more capital. So, yeah, you know, I've, I haven't done a whole lot of, of research on HUD loans, but you know, my understanding is you get that low fixed rate for a whole long time, you know, that 40 years at 3%. I mean, you can't beat that. It's it's really going to be hard to beat that, you know, until, you know, I, I don't know, maybe maybe if the Fed take puts a, a negative interest rate out there, which, you know, I, I heard projected yesterday, but, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to beat that low interest rate for a long time. But, you know, once again, it, it takes more knowledge to go from, you know, what you were doing in the past to be able to tackle this $15 million, you know, debt position on a HUD loan. Well, good, good. So, uh, let's introduce our, our next guest right now. We got Andre Jernigan on the line. He's a former professional and collegiate baseball player, played at the at Xavier University, and he's got a degree in finance. Um, after his athletic career came to an end, he discovered real estate investing and has since been determined to catch his new dream of freedom through becoming a full-time multifamily investor. While positively impacting communities and inspiring others to be the best version of themselves and lead, lead lives of true fulfillment. That said, Excited to talk to you today. Andre, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Brian. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. So, you know, a, a lot a lot of good stuff there. You know, I like the the catch your new dream kind of an allusion to, you know, your your baseball time. So so let, let's talk a little bit about your history. Tell us uh about your background, your history, and, and what got you to where you are today. Yep. So grew up in northeast Indiana, mm-hmm. uh Fort Wayne. Most people don't know it, but I grew up in a huge, education was huge in our family, you know, Mm -hmm. um, dad worked at GM and they always, my mom and dad always stressed us, education, get to school, get to college, this and that. And the other big thing was baseball. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things growing up, I played because it was fun and it was kind of one of those, you just did that over the summer. But, you know, once you get to a certain age, I got to about 15, 16 and I realized I was pretty good. And uh, that led to an opportunity to play, uh, to different scholarship opportunities. And so I ended up at Xavier University down in Cincinnati. And it was one of those, it was a very close line between student athlete. That's what they always told us. You're a student athlete. It's a very close, you know, student to athlete, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was an interesting experience. I think, you know, you meet some people there and especially at a private school like that, you meet different people, get exposed to different things. And it, it opened my mind up, but truth be told, it, my mind was on baseball. And, um, you know, you go through a couple of years there, won a couple of championships, got some accolades. I can mention those another time if you want. But, yeah. you know, I guess my senior year and I had one of those, nothing could go wrong, it seemed like. And mm-hmm. I ended up, was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Minnesota Twins. And so I played a couple of years of pro ball. You know, obviously there's a bunch of experiences there, but one of the big things I always took away was I would talk to, you know, the guys from Venezuela, from the Dominican Republic, because I've spoken of Spanish, speaking of Spanish to where I, I can get by. So 
just hearing their outlook on, you know, life and on baseball, that, that was the very first time I was introduced to, you know, seeing the world differently. And mm-hmm. they talked so much about enjoying life and, you know, living in the present and different things like that. And, you know, me growing up, you know, here in the way I did, it's like, man, I'm playing baseball and I need to get, if I have a bad day, I need to have a better, if I have a bad day, it's got to be better tomorrow. It's got to be better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just remember one story specifically as a guy, he told me, he's like, you know, why are you so mad? I'm having a terrible day. I think I'm like, oh, for five, you know, mm-hmm. strikeouts and everything. And he's like, why are you so mad? I was like, I'm having a bad day. He goes, I got a question for you. What are we going to do tomorrow? Well, we'll be at the field. We're playing at home. All right. We're going to do the next day. Well, we go to West Virginia and we play. He goes, mm-hmm. all right, that's what I'm going to tell you. You get to go, you need to grow up and you're playing the game that most people love and you're doing it every single day. Every day is a new day. Don't yeah. dwell on it so much. And that struck me and it kind of stuck with me. But fast forwarding, we're out in, I think, uh, just outside of Chicago, I want to say, up in South Bend, actually. And mm-hmm. we play there, bus ride back. You know, we don't play, we don't fly in the minor leagues. So we bus ride back a couple hours. And I remember getting back and the coaches called me out in the office and they were like, hey, I need to talk to you. And it's, 12 31 o'clock in the morning or so mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah no problem and i got released like sitting there and my jaws dropped so i'm just like like this is real this is actually happening and so i uh, go home pack up i don't even think i slept a wink and i'm out in uh, cedar rapids iowa at the time so i pack up even the next morning at like nine o'clock and so got a decent drive and so many things are going through my head and uh you know i get home and try and decide whether or not to you know keep playing and eventually i choose not to Mm-hmm. for different personal reasons but it's one of those I, I an identity crisis is what i ran into yeah. you know you go so long to play in that and whatnot but anyway fast forward you know i found a job here locally but it, it was one of those you know I, I just needed to do something to get my mind off everything and mm-hmm. so i started working and myself it's just this can't be life i can't be this can't be the next you know 40 years and you know my big wake-up moment was one day i remember I woke up, go through my morning routine, and it wasn't until I was about 15 minutes down the highway that I realized I had my first conscious thought. <laughs> and at that point, at that point, I was, it scared me because I'm one of those people I'm always thinking about something that scared me. It's like, this can't happen. And so I remember I'd learned a little bit about passive income back in school, you know, <laughs> the upper level investment classes. And so I started looking into, I started getting into stocks and different things like that. And I stumbled across, you know, the Purple Bible, Rich Dad, yeah. Poor Dad. And it was one of those things where I read it and that was another, I don't want to say identity crisis, but paradigm shit. You know, yeah. I grew up the way I did. I go to a good school, got a good degree. And it's like, a, it's, it's like everything. I'm like, okay, this wouldn't work out. Worst case scenario, I've got my finance degree. Mm-hmm. Then I read that book and I'm just like, boom. Wow. Okay, so what's next? And so I, you know, I just dive into all of this. Come across multifamily. Um, was introduced to a guy on Bigger Pockets. So I went to a seminar down in Cincinnati, and that was the first time it was real. Like, okay, this isn't just a theoretical, you know, looks good on paper thing like that. And so at that point, you know, I just dove in mathematically. Multifamily just always made sense to me. And so I was like, okay, well, if I can figure this out, then I can open up so many different things for myself and be able to introduce others to this. And so uh, that's led me to where I am today, you know, just kind of learning. Went to uh, Jerome's conference that was back in mm-hmm. May this year. I want to say July this year with it being pushed back, you know, because of COVID. And so yeah. just being around you know, him and hearing all the speakers and meeting different people there is just one of those things. It's, it reminds me of that feeling you have being a part of a team. And, you know, once you're done with sports, that kind of just is gone. Yeah. And, but it's just a certain energy. And it's the first time, you know, I felt like, wow, this is something that I want yeah. to pursue. And it's like, it's just, it's just like a thing inside. I don't, I really don't know how to describe it, but that energy is there with multifamily investing. It was, it was contagious. So it's yeah. where we're at today. You know, and, and something you say, I mean, once again, you know, bring, bring my military background, you know, a lot of, a lot of members separating from the military kind of have that same thing that they go from a team, a place where they're always around people. They're always in a team, they're in a squad or a fire team or a platoon or, you know, a, a unit of peers. And then you lose that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when you said identity crisis, yeah, I understand that completely because that's what, I don't know, most service members go through when they get out because it's just like, you know, you probably identified as a baseball player for your whole life. I went through a little bit of identity crisis because I've identified as a Marine for the last, you know, 19 years. It took me a while to kind of realize that, okay, this is not who Brian Briscoe is. It's part of me, 
but right. it's not, it's not all of me, but yeah. So I appreciate that. And I mean, fortunately for you, you know, comparing and contrasting the two of us, I read the purple Bible in like 2005 and I didn't get into multifamily till you know, 15, almost 15 years later. So you got me beat on that one. Let's put it that way. Well, good, good. So what's, what's, what's your big burning? Why? I mean, you talked a little bit about reasoning, but if you can just distill it down, you know, what's that big burning? Why that drives you? And I, Jerome, you guys said it best earlier, freedom. I was once told, you know, once you know too much about something, you can't go back. And, you know, seeing the idea of decoupling your time, your money and time, it's just, it's hard for me to justify, you know, just living the way society wants you to. And so that, that, that's a big part. And then the other part is, you know, I don't have kids yet. We don't have kids yet. I should say with my mm-hmm. fiance, I hope she didn't hear that, but. I know my parents were at every single, they were my dad to my, his best to be at every single baseball game, every event that my brother and I ever had. And that's a big thing for me. And then, you know, to go along further with that is to be able to pursue my dreams and then for my future children to pursue their dreams without that fear or, you know, that thing in the back of your head that says, okay, is this realistic? Do I, can you really afford it? You know, because Mm -hmm. a big thing for me is, especially after, you know, I've reflected on the baseball thing a while, but big thing was living with that regret and you know I, I know i gave up on that dream strictly because you know it's a minor league you don't get you don't get paid much and so mm-hmm. um it just wasn't feasible and knowing that i gave up for that reason a, a, a childhood dream that you know you can't just go chase baseball whenever you want to and so yeah. living with that regret and that i don't want to say guilt or anything i i really don't want my children to ever go through that and so yeah. When I stumbled across this, I was like, well, that, that's a, it came about as a solution to that potential problem whenever it arises Perfect. or if, in which, if I have anything to do with it, it won't arise, but just yeah. to freely chase those dreams, allow them to do that. It's, that would mean, you know, the world to me. Yeah. You know, and that's, that, that's absolutely key. I think with a lot of people, you know, my, my dad, my del- dad delivered mail. And I remember one day that I just looked at him and said, dad, I want to be exactly like you. I want to be a mailman. I want to. And my dad looked at me and said, son, if you're a mailman, I have completely failed you. You know, and I was just like, you know, almost hurt, you know, and it's just kind of, I love my dad a, a ton. And he just explained to me, he's like, look, Brian, I want you to have a better life than I have. And so if you end up being a mailman like me, I have failed you. And so I look at the same thing with my kids. I, I want them to be better off than, than I was. And I think that's, that's a common driver for, for a lot of people. So well, good. So. Well, hey, we have Jerome on the line here. Andre, what, what do you want to ask him? Uh, Jerome, I guess I guess to go with everything that's been going with the conversation so far, yeah. you know, I, I hear you mention knowledge is one of the, the first step, you know, to getting into this business. So with that in mind, how do you know when someone is ready to, you know, go and take that step of either some sort of formal education or mentorship? Like, do you have any criteria or like, is it just a personal thing or... Like, what, what do you think? So I don't think you can start getting education too early. If you know that your North Star or part of your path is multifamily, I think you start getting that education as soon as you can financially. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about a bunch of other stuff and back to this whole capital thing, if you think you need $100,000 in order to buy a building and you don't have that, so you're not going to get educated. I think that you're selling yourself short. If you are able to get educated and you have the knowledge and you can differentiate between a lead and a deal, there is a high likelihood that you'll either be compensated for bringing that to somebody, which will go into your savings in order to do your own deal, or you can get a piece of the ownership and being in that deal. And so I think that is kind of the gateway drug to getting into multifamily, get that education. The one thing that I will tell you, and it's the biggest mistake I made, and I try to leave it out of podcasts now, but I used to listen to 40 hours of content a week. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to everybody's podcast, and this was before Brian came out with the something that was targeted to new people. But I remember, just like Brian, I listened to every episode of Michael Blank's podcast, mm-hmm. right? I, I went through, and I wasn't just listening to Michael. I was listening to the guy from the Northeast mid-Atlantic, the South, the Midwest, and the Far West. I was listening to everybody. And I was trying to put all of it together. And I didn't do it well. I didn't have a cohesive 
system of going end to end because I was taking p- bits and pieces from everybody because I was saving money by just taking taking the free content in. Yeah. And what I will tell you is mm-hmm. what every educator has to offer is available on the internet somewhere. What you have to do as a person who hasn't actually done a deal is figure out how to assemble that into a framework that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an impossible task where you make a ton of mistakes or it impedes your progress because of the amount of time that you have to invest in it. So what I encourage people to do instead of trying to figure it all out on their own and cheap their way out is find educators who you identify with from a values perspective. And then from there, dive super deep on their content, get an end-to-end system from finding the deal to flipping out of the deal so that you can understand what this thing should look like. This is going to do a couple of things. One, it's going to give you the foundation that you need in order to evaluate deals. The second thing it's going to do is give you credibility in a space when you're out talking to people who would be potential partners for you. And then I think the third thing is because you know what a deal actually looks like, you're educated when you go into the bank and ask for your biggest partner to put their money in the deal. And that is a totally different conversation than what I see a lot of people doing. And what I like in that conversation too is something like this. Hey, Brian, I've been listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos. I've decided that I'm going to start my MMA career with my title (laughs) fight is going to be with Conor McGregor. Yeah. All right. I need you and your friends to wire me $500,000 so that I can do all the stuff I need in order to get to that fight. If I lose, you don't get one red cent. But when I win, Brian, because I have listened to podcasts and YouTube, and I even read some books, you will get a 15% return on your money. Now, I've got the wire instructions at the ready. I can send that to you via text or email. Which do you prefer? None of the above. Yeah. That, that's that's a, that's a good example. I like it. I'll chime in a little bit on my experience. You know, I, I tried the podcast route and I remember walking out of an eight unit apartment building that I, I had toured with a realtor and the thought came across that I'm like, how do I even know this is a good deal? And what I had done is I was like indexing podcast episodes. No kidding. I, I kept a running log. Okay. Michael Blanc, episode 122, talked about due diligence. You know, when I get to due diligence, I'll go back and listen to that podcast, you know, but that, that was, that was it for me. But, you know, I agree wholeheartedly, you know, the information's out there. Some people do well with mentorship coaching programs. Some people don't, but you do definitely need to get educated. Find somebody that resonates with you, you know, find somebody that you like and, and stick with them. Out of the four oaks, two of us did formal coaching. Two of us didn't. Absolutely. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, I got it's kind of spitballing off it just a little bit. You know, you build that massive business back before you dropped out, before you left the matrix. Looking at the skills that you built during that time when you learned, which ones, I would say like two or three, would you say have translated most into what you're where you're at now as far as investing in running these, you know, separate businesses as I like to see them? Yeah, I think the first thing is going to be my ability to model, right? Being able to model your deal, even though the one thing that I know about my model is it's wrong, right? It's just a matter of whether I'm high or low on my projections. And what we shoot for is to be low on our expenses, or I mean, we want to be high on our expenses and low on our revenue. That makes people really, really happy when we overperform on those two metrics. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time modeling. At one point I was managing 400 concurrent projects. You can't really do that by yourself, but I was responsible for all of them. And so the second piece of it is people management. And so whether you have direct employees or you have contractors, you're going to need people to run these things if you want your time and location freedom. And I think that is the only reason to really be in this business is to have that option. If you're the person with the hammer, if you're the person fixing toilets, if you're the person worrying about picking up trash, then those things are going to prevent you from growing your actual real estate business. And so between my ability to analyze P&Ls and see what's wrong and then model out what I think we can do on the front side so that when we get into the deal, we can execute against that and work against our business plan and then managing the people who are actually executing the business plan, I would not be where we are today 
if I didn't have those skills prior. I'll, I'll add one thing. And this came from Jerome's story earlier. Remember when he talked about his first deal, how the other contractor said, I'm not doing this unless Jerome's in on it. Yeah. All right. It's a relationship business. All right. Somehow Jerome had built a relationship with that other contractor that was strong enough that when this guy got something put in front of him on a silver platter, he's like, I want Jerome with me. You know, I'm not doing this unless Jerome's doing, I'm not going to cut Jerome out, you know? Mm-hmm. So end of the day, that's, that's something that I noticed when he was telling the story is if he did not put time and effort to that relationship, he may be in a completely different spot right now. Mm-hmm. No may I would be, I'd yeah. still be sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Absolutely sitting on the sidelines, still trying to figure out how to get the deal done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So relationships, it's there, there's what you know, but there's all, it's also a relationship game. Mm-hmm. People managing relationships, guys, seems to be the revolving thing around all this. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, no, we'll, let's go to limiting beliefs. Jerome and I had a brief interaction, was his last week, I believe it was, two, a couple weeks ago, about, you know, my own personal limiting beliefs. And so I guess, did you have any limiting fears or any kind of limiting beliefs as to far as what you're going to do next? And even if you knew what you're going to do next, which I'm sure you did, but you didn't know exactly how. So how did you overcome those? Was there anything that you did mindset wise or like, how did you overcome that? Yeah. Limiting beliefs are huge, Andre. And I think we paint ourselves in this box and this goes back to this whole red pill thing and deciding that the rules aren't real, right? Deciding that you can create your own future and your own destiny. And so what were my limiting beliefs? Well, after the bank told me no, I thought, well, I can't be a multifamily investor because I don't know anybody who's done it. And I'll take this back. So I didn't just come up with this, oh, I'm going to go buy an apartment between the time that I decided that I was going to leave and the time when I realized I had to lay people off. My sophomore year in college, I wanted to be a multifamily investor. My buddy was living downstairs. He was paying $395. He had two roommates doing the same thing. And I was upstairs. I had two roommates and we were all paying $395. When we multiplied it across the complex, the guy was making seven hundred grand a year. We never saw him. We never talked to him. I was like, this is it. This is what we're looking for. And because I grew up the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom, we didn't have people who own multi-million dollar real estate investments coming over to our house for dinner. Mm-hmm. It just was one of the foreign things. My dad was an enlisted man. He joined the Marines when he was 16. And so I had that limiting belief from the time I was a sophomore in college, 20, until I actually got my first deal done. And it's just like, I don't know anybody who's doing this. And again, it hit me in the face, right? Imagine putting that on the shelf, going through all this time. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to get my credit score. And then I'm going to go show people that I can buy this thing. And then the banks turn you away when you think, okay, well, I've done enough stuff and I've got enough credibility in order to get a loan. So that was deflating in every way, shape and form. But I just kept doing what I could do with what I had. And my mom taught me when I was a kid, she said, baby, if you want somebody to help you start pushing your own car, don't sit in the car with the flashers on, push your own car. And when you start pushing your own car, people will show up to help you. And that's what ended up happening for me. And so I didn't think that I could do a deal, especially after I got turned away from the banks because I didn't have the relationships. I didn't have the network. I wasn't smart enough to get in a community of people who were doing deals. I wasn't smart enough to go buy mentorship so that I could get exposed to people. And I wasn't even smart enough to reach out to people who were on podcasts that were guests to try to figure out how I could build a relationship with them. That is what I think you do when you don't have that network in order to get into a new space. And I think what Brian's done is set up a really great situation where you can meet somebody who you've never talked to before and have a conversation and ask your questions. And I'm pretty sure those folks will be willing to take some more calls from you, help you on your journey, as long as you're yeah. taking action on the, the uh, advice they're giving you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I, I told you a little bit about me reading the purple Bible as well. And Kiyosaki talks a lot about commercial real estate in there. I remember reading that book and thinking, I don't even know where to start on commercial real estate. You know, that was a huge limiting belief for me, you know, and that's when I decided to do single family homes 
And it was, it was literally in my mind, I'm like, I can't even begin to think about this whole commercial real estate stuff. You know what? I could probably do a single family house. That's not too complicated. But for me, I, I think the fortunate thing is I actually took action. And the further you push the envelope, the more you realize what's possible. And that's, for me, it ended up being, I started looking at, okay, you know, I, I have a handful of single family homes. I can do a duplex or I can do a five unit. You know, I can do one of those. And it was just gradually started pushing the envelope and get myself more comfortable with that. But I think the biggest thing for me was there were a couple of times where I really had to get out of my comfort zone. And those were the times that I grew the most. So, all right. That said, we, you know, we, we've been talking for over an hour now. Yeah. I mean, we haven't been recording the whole time, but uh, I just looked at the clock and, you know, hour and 11 minutes since we started the call. So we probably should wrap it up. Great conversation. You know, I love what you guys are doing. My new favorite podcast episode right here, by the way, don't tell Julie Holly that, but (laughs) anyway, last question for both of you. Uh, How can listeners learn more about you? Jerome, you go first. Oh, man, super grateful for this opportunity. I think the best way, if people want to learn more about getting into multifamily in our four-step process, we've just released a new guide of the five mm-hmm. missteps that every multifamily investor should avoid. They should mm-hmm. hop over to MyersMethods.com, and there they can get access to a free four-step guide. We've got a community if they want to join that. And I'd love to come back after Andre does his because I've got something super special for the listeners if you'd be open for that. Yep. Well, I'm open for it. So Andre, you're next. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn's huge, Andre Jernigan. And I'm sure I'm not the only one out there, but from Fort Wayne, Indiana, that is probably the best way to get a hold of him. Pretty active. All right. One. All right. And we'll, we'll put links to your profile and uh, Jerome back to you. So We've talked about the Mid-Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference. It's coming up March 19th through the 21st. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to announce that Brian Briscoe is going to be a speaker at the conference. <laughs> All in, bud. All in, 100%. This so. is phenomenal. You yeah. heard it here first, guys. This is just coming out. It's a great way to start the new year. Yeah. Brian didn't see it coming. I thought about warning him, but I thought it would be better just to catch him on surprise. Oh. 100%. So yeah, all in. And uh, Jerome, I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thanks. That is a, it's an honor to do it. You know, absolutely love to. Anyway, we're, we're going to put links to that. Do you, do you have a website up for it yet or anything yet? Yes, yeah, it's, it's MyersMethods.com forward Perfect. slash con2021. Con2021. All right, we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes as well. And, you know, everybody get your tickets. So it's going to be big. All right. And uh, once again, thank you to both of you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you guys today. And, you know, hope we can all talk again sometime. Not hope, we will. But Absolutely. Uh, All right. Thanks. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show. So pull out your phone tap subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.